Hey, buddy. Time to review the classic Woody Allen comedy Sleeper. No, Steve. Now it's time for you to wrap me in tinfoil. Why am I wrapping you in tinfoil this time? Because I'm going to cryo-freeze myself and travel through time. By wrapping yourself in tinfoil. No, stupid. By wrapping myself in tinfoil and then getting into this cryostasis tube. You you mean that old refrigerator laying on its side? At this point in our friendships, do you even need to ask that? That is a good point. Okay, hold still. Here comes the tinfoil. Yay! Just think, Steve. I will go into the cryostasis tube and travel back in time. I'll say hi to the dinosaurs for you. You can't freeze yourself to travel back in time. What? I can't hear you over all the crazy in my head. Nothing. You got the wrong guy. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not the heroic type, really. I was beaten up by Quakers. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I am Steve Shives. And on this show, we watch a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, its reputation is good, I guess. Right, Steve? <laughs> it seems to be pretty good, yeah. I think for, The for, movie has yeah. a better reputation than the director oh, does right now. Oh, oh, well, I mean, that ain't exactly like hitting 60 home runs. I mean, it's... Day baseball reference. Hey. Hey, what movie are we going to review this time? We are going to review that classic 1973 futuristic sci-fi comedy slash silent film throwback, Sleeper. How come you got to mention that first? I'm the one that noticed all the silent film references. Oh, you're the only one? (laughs) I guess, yeah. They were so subtle, too. (laughs) That's right, Sleeper, directed by who, Steve? Oh, well, see, there's the thing. It How was, long have we been avoiding this guy? Um, up until right now. For the so, whole uh, length of uh, our show, four or five uh, years, I don't know. 140 episodes? We'd be like, hey, you want to do Annie Hall? And we'd be like, nah. I don't know. Do we have to? <laughs> Man. Can't, like, can't he... 47 movies to his credit. It's like, so, I, th- um, I think we were kind of holding out hope that he would die. And then we could, and then something we could, would, or, yeah, yeah, or yeah, then we could wait a few years and then be like, would okay, come forward and maybe yeah. make us feel better. Yeah, but nope, no, it's uh, directed, at, co-written, and directed by uh, by Woody Allen. Yeah, what go Woody, Woody Allen. Allen. Yeah. yeah, one of my, what used to be one of my favorite filmmakers. Used to be. <laughs> used to now be. Now it's now it's hard to watch. Now it's just stuff. weird. And you're kind of like, maybe he went crazy when he got old. I don't know. Maybe we could watch his old movies and it'll be okay. But, I mean, he made a really good movie a couple years ago. And and it was like, I can't. (laughs) Maybe we should tell the nice people what we're talking about in case they don't know about Woody Allen's reputation. Well. (laughs) (laughs) I'm making you do it. The thing about Woody Allen is... Um, he has been uh, the subject for, for several, what's the word, decades um, <laughs> of some truly troubling and horrifying accusations of child abuse and, and, and child, child sex abuse specifically um, mm-hmm. from his children. And uh, yeah, so. But don't worry, they weren't related to him. <laughs> it's okay. 
from his adopted children. From which, so and those those of you who are listening who are old enough, you will remember back in the early '90s when this first became an issue because Woody Allen divorced his his wife at the time, Mia Farrow, and mm-hmm. then uh, hooked up with and eventually married uh, Soon Yi, who was his adopted daughter. Well, not his. Well, his her wife's her adopted. daughter, but yeah, I mean, basically, right, like, but yeah. still, it's not good. How old was she? Oh, at the Dutch. What? Eighteen. She was like, 19? yeah, 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 and twenty. Yeah. Young. Uh, he married. He married a person who was. He was in a father role, and and yeah. and it just got icky from that point forward. And good old Hollywood said, "We don't care," <laughs> and he kept making movies until. Very recently, when people went, wasn't there a thing about Woody Allen? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. People, it's like people all of a sudden remembered and were like, actually, maybe we shouldn't be okay with this. Yeah. Funny that. Weird and how Hollywood I'm, works. But we had to, didn't we? We had to. Uh, just to get it out of our system. Well, yeah. I mean, he has to be, he has to be, he has to be dealt with. I mean, that's you know. right. He is a very uh, significant filmmaker. And just like with Superman Returns, we need to try to separate the artists from the art, right? Yes. But unfortunately, this artist is in all of his art. He is. Playing pretty much a version of himself. Yeah. So then he starts saying things in his movies, Mm -hmm. and you're like, "Um, what? Oh, Woody, (laughs) you shouldn't have made that joke. Oh, no. That doesn't make me feel good. So, Steve, Mm -hmm. do you have any not icky trivia for Sleeper? I do. I do. Well, actually, I have... I don't believe that. I have two bits. I have two bits of totally not icky trivia, and then I have one bit of mildly icky trivia, but it's not icky relating to Woody Allen, so... Oh, great. More ickiness. It's more ickiness, but anyway. Okay. Okay, so the first thing is... uh, as originally conceived by Woody Allen, this film would have been roughly twice as long as as the mm. version we got, um, because he originally envisioned it as kind of a, a two-part movie, where the first half would have actually followed his character in 1973, living his, uh-huh. his contemporary life up until the point that he gets frozen, and then it would have jumped ahead to 200 years in the future. Um, and the studio rejected this, thank God. <laughs> um, but that feeds into the second bit of trivia, which is there was another earlier concept for the film before we actually got the, the version of the film that we have. Um, mm-hmm. And in that version, and it's, it's, it's similar to the movie that we got, but his part of his original concept was that he would set the movie in the future. And in that future, people would no longer be allowed to talk. And that oh. would be his that would be his justification for basically making a silent film. Right. But he would have a reason why nobody was talking. And that was also abandoned, but as we're gonna talk about, the movie still retains not totally. Not 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 <laughs> totally, but but you know, I mean th- there's not like a, you know, a no nobody's allowed to talk rule. Um, but uh, and there's lots That's there's great. plenty of, there's plenty of dialogue but uh, yeah it, it still has a lot of slapstick and a lot of nods to, to silent comedy and Marx Brothers stuff um, mm-hmm. now here's the icky bit so oh, okay come on, man. So, no no but this won't make you feel bad about Woody Allen this will just make you feel bad about you know lots of other people um, so mm-hmm. so there's a scene in the movie where where 
Woody's character, Miles, is given like artifacts to identify from the past, and one of them mm-hmm. is is a Playboy centerfold. And although you can't really tell in the movie, uh, the centerfold is Miss November 1972. And mm-hmm. Miss November 1972 was a model named Lena Forsen. And the reason that's significant is because uh, computer scientists used that centerfold image, although it was cropped to just have her head and, and the top of her shoulder, not the entire centerfold. Um, but they used that as a test image uh, in the field of computer image processing. Pretty much since 1973, it's been a standard test image to, to gauge, you know, resolution and, and you know, to, to test like image processing in computer systems. So mm-hmm. it is actually one of the most used images uh, and most frequently seen images in the history of uh, the computer industry. So basically what you're telling me mm-hmm. is that the reason why image systems for decades had a bias towards white people and white people's skin tones uh-huh. is because they used a Playboy Playboy centerfold of a white girl mm-hmm. from 1973 for the last almost 50 years. That is what I'm telling you. Thanks, Steve. Yep. Ickiness confirmed. You're, Great. Wo- you're that's, welcome. That's awesome. You're welcome. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't do this show without Steve. It'll just be me crying, and no one wants to hear that. Well, I mean, aside from Steve and some other people that I know who know me personally. <laughs> Only your personal friends want to hear you cry. And family. And family anyway. Yeah. Oh, come here, come here, come here. He's crying again. Look. There's a couple of pets that would like to see it, too. Um, so are you ready for the Who Made It? I'm ready. Great. It was directed by Woody Allen. You guys know him. He's directed 47 goddamn... He's directed a lot of movies, hasn't he, Steve? Oh, my God. And every time I think I know them all, I, I find another one. And I'm like, oh, he directed that, too. Because there's a bunch of them there's that a bunch. have fallen to the wayside. Yeah. Right. I mean, he makes he makes a movie almost every year, but you know the big ones. Annie Hall, Hannah and her sisters, um, Three Men and a Baby... Uh, what else? Uh, that one just went right by Steve. He didn't do three men I made and a, a baby. joke, and, and Steve was just like, doo, doo, doo. He didn't do three men and a baby. Mm-hmm. Star Trek. Can you Star Trek for the voyage home? Can you imagine? Oh, so now you're giving you're giving him credit for Nimoy's entire filmography. I don't care anymore, Steve. <laughs> oh man, I wish we could just pretend that Leonard Nimoy made all of Woody Allen's movies. That would be a little bit better. That would make it so like, much easier. Why is Nemo keep casting Woody Allen in all this film? <laughs> this is weird. He could have played this one. This is a, I mean, not even Martin Scorsese is that dedicated to Robert De Niro. He, uh, Robert De Niro is not the lead in every one right. of his movies. I mean, he, just knows, the, he knows just that, the good ones. He, he knows De Niro cries every time he doesn't cast him, but he's willing to put up with it. <laughs> Do you sometimes, when you watch a Scorsese film, if you find out that De Niro isn't in it, you kind of lose a little bit of interest? <laughs> a little bit. His DiCaprio partnership as of late I, has has waning interest for me because DiCaprio is a shout actor. Yeah. And um, De Niro isn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly De Niro, what you mean. De Niro can get angry, but very seldom... I mean, my memory of all of his performances is not him shouting. Oh, no. You know, because he can act. 
Am I implying that Leonardo DiCaprio can't act? No, I'm not doing that. Am I implying that Martin Scorsese has been casting Leonardo DiCaprio because he's a big name and it'll get him funding so that he can make his movies? I'm not saying that either. (laughs) I could, but I'm not saying that either. I do remember (sighs) when The Departed came out and I saw, like, everybody was in it. And I was like, is De Niro seriously not in this? (laughs) Like, everybody's in this. In this movie? (laughs) Yeah, right? It was like, hey, let's see who gets the accent wrong. Anyway, can we go? Can we keep going? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> and produced by Jack Grossberg, nothing. Written by Woody Allen and Marshall Brickman, who also co-wrote Annie Hall. Mm. I think he, boy, um, I don't, don't, I can't remember if he co- helped write Manhattan. Which, ooh, do you remember the the? Do you remember the plot from Manhattan, Steve? You know, I have not seen Manhattan. It's, I, I, now, I might be wrong, but I think that's the one where Woody Allen falls in love with an underage girl. Oh, no. <laughs> Très surprise. I cannot believe um, that. <laughs> I could be wrong, though. It may be a different, it may be something different. I don't it know. May, it may be a different Woody Allen movie where he falls in love with the underage girl. <laughs> Stop it. Starring Woody Allen as Miles Monroe, Diane Keaton as Luna Schlosser, and you know her from the Godfather movies, Mm -hmm. and Annie Hall. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Fuck it. What else do you need? (laughs) Don Keffer as Dr. uh, Tyrone. A lot. Mm. A lot of TV, a lot of movies. Bartlett Robinson as Dr. Orva. Again, a lot. A lot of TV, a lot of movies. Mary Gregory as Dr. Melick. Nothing. John Beck as Erno Wint, again a lot. Myra Small as Dr. Nero, um, who had a small part in Cuckoo's Nest and a couple of other movies. Um, Spencer Milligan as Jeb Humthing. That's what it says. H-R-M-T-H-M-G. Um, and you guys might know him as the dad in Land of the Lost. Ah. Now, you guys might not have realized that because he was playing a gay stereotype in this super funny movie that we watched. <laughs> hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. Stanley Ross's Sears Swiggles. And uh, he's a writer. You don't want to know what he wrote? What did he write? He was a writer on the 1960s Batman <gasps> TV show. Oh, hey, hey. He was... He is a writer for the Monkees. Oh. And he was co-creator of Wonder Woman in the 70s. So he had a niche. He had a niche. <laughs> Peter Hobbs as Dr. Dean Nothing, Whitnit Ryback as the voice of Janus Nothing, John Cannon as the voice of Rags, the dog, Nothing, Jackie Mason as the voice of Cohen, one of the two robot tailors that are, pro- are Jewish. Jewish robots are in this one, right? They sure are. And Jackie Mason is a famous comedian. He had a famous one-man show at some point in the 19... I think it was the 80s. Um, Lou Pacetti as the Miss America MC. Chris Forbes as Rainier Krebs. Reed, uh, Reed Morgan as the representative at Domesticon. Albert Powell as the programming technician. Jessica Rains as the woman in the gyro mirror. Not explaining it. Um, <laughs> we'll you know get who there. went uncredited? You know who went uncredited? Who? The vo- the guy who did the voice for the uh, medical ro- uh, medical computer. Oh, do you know who that who was? Who was that? 
Same guy who did who voiced Hal. That's right. Yeah, the Hal Nine Thousand. Yeah, same voice. Can't can't remember his name. Yeah, whatever his name was. Fuck. Rains. Eh, fuck him. Rainy, rainy. He's Hal. Du- du- he's, Douglas he's Rain. Here. Douglas Rain. Douglas Rain. Yeah. Thank you. Music by Woody Allen's band. Yep. Cinematography by David M. Walsh, who uh, did a lot of cinematography for comedies like Johnny Dangerously and Silver Streak and things like that. Edited by O. Nicholas Brown, Ron Kalish, and Ralph Rosenblum, um, who also edited The Producers and Failsafe. Three. Three editors. Three editors. Couldn't find a reason why. Could I? And the other two had no... I couldn't find any other movies that they worked on. Hmm. That's weird, right? That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Distributed by United Artists. Released December 17th, 1973. Because I guess this is a Christmas it's movie. It's a holiday film. <laughs> Running time of blessed 87 minutes. Budget $2 million or $11.6 million adjusted. Box office, $18.3 million, or $104.5 million, making United Artists so happy. <laughs> That's why There's it launched the of... incredibly lucrative and long-running sleeper franchise. Mm-hmm. Now, there is uh, speculation as to what this movie is based on, and that is a book called When the Sleeper Awakens. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, When the Sweet Sleeper Wakes by H.G. Wells. And in that story, um, it's a little bit funnier than what's in the movie. A man <laughs> who is suffering from insomnia takes a pill that inadvertently puts him into a coma for 200 years, and then he wakes up, he finds out that the, uh, the government is corrupt, and he leaves a, leads a revolution to overthrow it. There's a bunch of also very icky racial shit in that book. It's why it's not one of my favorites by H.G. Wells. (laughs) Weird. But it was another opportunity for Wells to, um, you know, put his socialist ideas into his books because Wells was very much about social equality and he was from England. So he knows about social inequality pretty well. (laughs) Really? In England? But it wasn't that great. Um, the sleeper, uh, the you know, when the sleeper wakes is also credited with the idea of someone falling asleep for a long period of time and inspiring things like um, Buck Rogers. Oh sure, yeah. Because in the original Buck Rogers, he didn't go up in a shuttlecraft and get frozen. He went into a cave and fell asleep for two hundred years for some reason, and then just came back out. And in fact, in the movie. <laughs> Woody Allen has a line that says, and now I'm like Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon didn't fall asleep. It was Buck, Buck Rogers. Rogers. You yeah. used the wrong reference. You angered up my nerd blood <laughs> when you said that, you stupid. You're trying to hide, trying to hide what inspired the movie. That's what I think. <laughs> now you're really pissed at him. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Steve, come on. Okay. Let's put on our Hydrovac suits. <gasps> oh, boy. Here, hold this orb for me. Oh. <laughs> and let's climb into the orgasmatron. Oh, boy. Just me and you. Oh, boy. It's not technically sex, because we don't have to get naked or nothing. Cool. And let's <laughs> sleep our way to the future and enter the world of sleepers. Steve, do it. <gasps> Take it away. I don't... Do it. Do it, Steve. Well, we I don't like being conflicted, and that's all I am in this one is conflicted. We get a uh, pretty normal opening credits, just you know, t- titles. White. Yeah, black, uh, white titles, or white on black. Yeah. 
uh, oh, with like a you know a ragtime jazz score yeah. that we'll hear many many times over the course of the film, um, and then we just start right at you know we're we're in the future. We see people walking down a hallway. Mystery men. Yeah, and I guess they, they seem like scientist types, you know? Yeah, or scientists or whatever. And they're saying, we need to get a guy, and we need to get him out of the thing, and we're going to wake him up, and he's perfect for our plans, mahaha. Yeah, yeah, lots of, ooh, mysterious goings-on. And then we see a body in, in a big room, Yeah. and there's a machine that goes ping, <laughs> and the body's covered in aluminum in a, foil. Like, literally aluminum foil. No and attempt like, made to disguise what it is. <laughs> no. And um, they're, like, talking about him and that this guy is from a place called Greenwich Village and he's the co-owner of a, of a health food store called the what? Oh, shit, I can't remember what they call the it. The Happy Carrot. Yes, and they mentioned that this was in 1973, which was right. 200 years ago. Right. So we're in so the we're future. Like, oh, we get it. We didn't know we were in the future from all the future cars. Nope. We or, didn't. The, or the architecture or the weird robes or anything like that. Right. <laughs> anyway, they wake him up, but he's all goofy. Yeah. Because it's Woody Allen, and now he has some, some. he's all, they try to feed him, and he sticks it on other people's faces, and he's got a goofy face. And then, uh-oh, the security police show up, and they're like, what are you doing? And it turns out these guys aren't supposed to be doing what they were doing, right, Steve? Right, exactly. They were, they're busted for using unauthorized uh power i think and the cops are like hey you know and they try to questioning him they they tell him that that uh woody's character is actually one of the doctors and Mm. he just had like an accident and that's why he's acting weird miles please don't say his name again oh sorry miles 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 is the character name trying to fuck him up with a wheelchair electric wheelchair and he sticks a plate of blue food on a guy's face which guys this is why i'm conflicted the movie is funny. God damn it. <laughs> Here's the thing. We'll get this out of the way right here. Okay? He's known for his later, more cerebral, less goofy films. Yeah. But he's really good at physical comedy. Yeah, he and Yeah, he definitely shows that here. Yeah, he does. I mean... And when he sticks that place that that plate onto that cop's face, I literally laughed out loud. Didn't want to, but it happened anyway. Anyway, they start arguing, and then they just cut to them hustling hustling them into a car. Right. I guess they convinced the security police that they didn't they didn't you know need anything. And then we cut again. They cut to this guy's house, and he's rehabilitated now. I guess. Yeah, yeah. They ha- I think they have like one scene where he's outside, and the doctors are discussing his case. But yeah, we we pretty much we cut to him in the house, and they they tell him what what happened because he didn't. Oh. He was he was frozen involuntarily. It's that great shot. It's another one of those silent film shots yeah. where the doctor leads him out. And it's center framed, and she's telling him, and he's pushing her away like he doesn't believe it. Yeah. And then he he looks at the house, and he has this shocked look on his face, and he passes out. Yeah. And then we get an a, an exposition dump. Right. Yeah. And he he can't believe it because he he wasn't he didn't intend to be frozen. He was frozen, I guess, by his doctors. Uh, mm-hmm. Because he had like a medical condition that couldn't be treated, and so he wasn't expecting to wake up in the future. And now here he is in the future, and he's like, I, you know, um, he went in for ulcer yeah. to have some ulcers checked out. Yeah, and then there were complications. They fixed the ulcers, but he was in a coma, and his cousin 
put him in cryo-freeze. Yeah. So he didn't want to go. So he's, and, he's, you know, so once he gets caught up on where he is and what year it is, then the doctors drop this on him. They say, oh, by the way, uh, we live in a totalitarian state and, yeah. and there's a rebellion and mm-hmm. we need you to help out not, the rebellion. Not yet. Because we have to do a long, sustained, semi-dated history joke sequence. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, the, this is where he, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's identifying. He looks at a bunch of pictures of people. Thankfully, most of them are people that we know, and he, he gives funny reactions to all of the photos. Yeah. Right, like Charles de Gaulle was a chef on TV. <laughs> yes. That Bella Lugosi was the mayor of New York. The mayor York. of New York, yeah. You know, things like that. Then they show him some TV stuff. And um, he makes a Richard Nixon joke because nothing will date you more than making a Richard Nixon joke. But I was wrong when I said that because they immediately followed it with a Howard Cosell joke. Now, I'm old, everyone. (laughs) I'm old. I'm 51. I get the joke. I get the joke. Do I think it's funny? Eh. But they're showing a clip of Howard Cosell just talking. And he says, now we think that this was some sort of punishment for those people who had transgressed society. And he goes, yes, that's exactly what it is. It's probably fall down hilariously funny in 1973. I don't think anyone below my age will understand or get that joke at all whatsoever. Steve, what's your take on it? I thought it was funny. Well, of course you but, did, because you're smart. But I also yeah, thought, I, I thought it was funny, but I, I thought it was funny for how mean it was. I was like, damn, he really does not like Howard Cosell, does he? They were friends. Howard Cosell, <laughs> I think, appears in another one of his movies, too. Yeah, but I, yeah, I, I thought it was funny. Okay, fine, whatever. But, like, yeah, I, I, am, I am an extremely intelligent and culturally literate person. Thank you, Steve. You know, anyway. not like most of these yokels. <laughs> Anyway, after all that, then they tell him about the Ares project. Right. right? Which that they're not rebels. they're not quite sure what it is, but they know it's really bad and that it and that it'll it could spell the end of the rebellion. And they want to use him because he has no file. Right? That he's an unknown, that everyone's right. been file, filed and photographed and fingerprinted and everybody knows everything about about them, but he has nothing. He's a blank. He can go in, find out about the Ares project. But uh-oh, the security police arrive. And they're like, "Go find the rebels." Right. Go west to the western yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, they tell him, yeah, it's like the western province or the western district or something. They basically tell him very generally, just get out, run for it and go there and find out what the Ares project is. And he's like, "Oh, okay." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we have a very weak Harold Lloyd ladder sequence. Yeah, there's <laughs> that. Yeah, to. or it could be Buster Keaton on a day that he wasn't really wanting to try, and <laughs> I'll just do wasn't some ladder drunk shit. enough to get on a ladder. <laughs> do some ladder shit. I don't know. Just he puts it down, tries to balance. On. Yeah, you get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then he does he some runs, jetpack stuff. Yeah, he puts on a he puts on a helicopter pack that won't fly, and then there's a couple more sight gags in the forest, and then he runs into a, a robot van. Right, because and there we we've seen that there are there are butlers that are robots. That's right. Yeah. And so he he puts on a robot disguise, not really what he does because <laughs> you can see his face. It's obviously just his face, yeah. And the van drops him at, off at a house and who lives at the house? Uh this is the home of Luna played by Diane Keaton and and she has been expecting a new robot butler. 
Mm. And she's a fascist, not fascist, no. <laughs> she's a vapid, yeah. um, kind of dumb. Yeah. I guess like an aristocrat, kind of. Yeah, and she thinks she fancies herself a poet. And she thinks she's the poet. And she's like having people over to her house, you know. She's yeah. And she's like, make food. And then we have an extended pudding gag <laughs> where he makes some instant pudding and it turns into a blob that attacks him. Yes. But not after. But before that, he first he pours it in there and it overflows the pot. Then he answers the door and a whole bunch of people come in, including a person that's wearing a backwards Nazi symbol. Yay! For some reason. Because it's funny. I guess <laughs> he takes he takes their clothes and puts them in a disintegrator because he thought it was a closet. And then he goes back in the kitchen and he has to fight that pudding, which is <laughs> goddamn it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, someone gives her a keen painting, which is funny, because keen paintings are funny. Yeah. And uh, then they pass around an orb. And what's an orb, Steve? The orb, it's basically the future version of drugs. You you right. You hold it, and you caress it, and it gets you high. And again, god damn it. <laughs> because they give it to the butler, who's supposed to be a robot, who's not going to be affected by <laughs> right. the orb. But it's Woody Allen, and, and, and he's the, more the one he has yeah. to handle it. <laughs> he's the one who touches it more than anybody else because he passes it from person to person. Yeah, to the point in which he's going to—he threatens to hit people <laughs> when they try to take it from him, and then he attacks a lady. And then I went, "Oh, <laughs> should have cut before that part." Uh huh. But then they decide, let's all go swimming, and they all go swimming, and they leave him there with the orb. And then he plays some music really fast and he dances around really fast because that's the transition we wanted. And I guess everyone drowned in the pool because only Diane Keaton and her boyfriend come back, I guess? Yeah, they're the only two that come back, yeah. And she said, well, I, I wanted to have sex with everybody, but there wasn't enough people. <laughs> so they decide so, to just use the orgasmatron. Yeah, they go in the orgasmatron, which takes like, I don't know, five seconds? Yeah. And um, then she reads a truly awful poem. And um, <laughs> it's just awful. It's terrible, yeah. And then we cut to the next day, and she's taking her robot, who is Woody Allen, to go have his head changed because she wants something more modern. Right. And then he goes in, and he's seeing all the robots getting uh, torn apart. And uh, then he tries to make an escape and then more wacky hijinks to jazz music. Yes, exactly. And uh, he runs back outside and finds Luna, who is standing outside waiting for her robo-butler, I guess. And uh, yeah. he pulls her into her car and basically like tells her the truth. Says, hey... But not before he besmirches one of my most favorite things in the world. Oh, Blue cheese. Oh, that's right. Yes, there's a gag Why where did he, use, he knocks somebody out. There's a gag out. where... Yeah. With a, you know, a clear label on the outside that says blue cheese pointed towards the camera as if he's working for the blue cheese lobby. And he just presses it up against a guard's face because, uh-oh, the security police are there again. And he knocks him out. And I like blue cheese, Steve. I like blue cheese too, man. And I know it smells, but not to the point where it could kill somebody. Yeah, like get over it. I mean, imagine how many people were put off by blue cheese because of this fucking movie. <laughs> they missed the wonders of blue cheese because Woody Allen thinks it stinks. Fuck him. Oh, yeah, fuck you, Woody Allen. Is there no <laughs> is there no end to your transgressions? Anyway, yeah, they get in a car and they escape. 
they escape to the woods where she's tied up and she's yelling because he's an alien and he's like, shut up or I'll kill you or something. Yeah. No, I'll give you a painful hickey. Is That's what, what I, that ultimately is his threat. Yeah. Yeah. And she's hungry and he's like, fine, I'll go get food. And then we get giant food food. Because it's the future. And someone's growing banana, giant bananas and uh, celery and... Tomatoes or strawberries tomatoes, or something. Tomatoes, yeah. right. And uh, he starts peeling one of the bananas. And, yeah, he, he goes there. Yeah. A farmer sees him cause, and comes running after him. And they both start slipping in the banana peel. You knew that was coming. I mean... Yeah. And then we see a big chicken. <laughs> or we see a guy in a chicken costume. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he brings food back to her, and she's still complaining about shit. Because <laughs> she's whiny and just, I don't. She's, you know, she's, she's been inculcated into society to believing that everything is great. She doesn't understand why anybody would want anything different because they've got the orgasmatron and the orbs and all this other stuff. Right? Right, exactly. She doesn't get what people's problem is, yeah. She doesn't fucking work. She has a line there that says, I haven't taken a bath in seven hours. Right, yeah. We hate her. She, yeah. Anyway. She's spoiled. <laughs> so then they need to get a car because they need to go to the western area. Yeah. I don't know where the, to find the rebels. And so they come upon a house and then they get a car. Y- well, yeah, eventually. I'm, I don't want to discuss this, okay. Steve. Okay. But I guess we have to, right? Because you're giving me that look. <laughs> You're like, are you really going to, Jason, are you really going to gloss over this? I know it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about, but we've done it before, We have right? to face the truth. Okay, here's the truth. Back in 1973, gay people were funny just because they were gay. Exactly. And that's basically this whole premise. That's yeah. the whole joke. Ha ha, gay people. Answers, yeah, the guy who answers the door is gay, and the guy who's over the, sitting in a couch is gay, and uh, the robot is the gay, The robot too. butler is gay, yeah. And he is actually a limp-wristed caricature. Mm-hmm. Get, get it? Yeah. It's funny, because they're gay. Yeah. And also during this scene, uh, Luna calls the cops secretly from the bathroom. Oh, yeah. She secretly calls the cops. But she asks for a Hydrovac suit, and if they can have one of their cars, and they're like, sure. And that's that's what happens, and that's over, and the hilarity can stop. Yay! Because because they were gay, and you can go home and say, "Oh, there's this great scene in Sleeper, <laughs> where there were gay guys in it." And isn't that funny? Aren't gay people inherently funny? They're not people. They're funny. <laughs> they're, they're objects of amusement. I know we're loath to put in black stereotypes in movies anymore, but this is totally different because they're they're gay, <laughs> and they're gay makes it different, so it's okay to make jokes about. And them. it will always be okay. Mm-hmm. Yep, because it's totally different. Uh huh. Yep. Anyway, they drive, and then they drive to the river, and then uh oh, the security police are coming. Uh-oh. And this is another one. There's there's a joke in here. Where there are these two security police yeah. that keep trying to shoot a bazooka. Yeah. And back at the house when he was first escaping with the jetpack, these guys came out and the guy pulls the plunger and the bazooka exploded, which was, oh, I didn't expect that. And this time they have the same two guys with the bazooka and this time the plunger part explodes. It's funny. <laughs> they just anyway, can't figure starts... out how to get that thing to work. <laughs> he starts bouncing away. Yeah. You know, Miles starts bouncing away, and and the security police come up, and we're like, let's kill her. Right. And she's like, oh, no, why? And it's just like, because you've been living in a fantasy world, you dumb broad. You've been 
fucking pretending that everything's fine when it's not. And now we're going to erase your brain. And she's like, help. And then Miles comes back and knocks them over in his big inflated suit because the Hydrovac suit blowed up like he's made out of bell peppers. Right, exactly. (laughs) They knock him down and she hits him with a stick. And then he he goes into the river because he can float now, and she gets on top, and one of the security guys shoots him, and it causes a hole in the suit, and it starts blowing him really fast across the river, right? Yeah. Cartoon logic. Exactly. Cartoon logic exactly. In, in the movie. And she's like, I hate you. And then there's a bunch of dialogue that we can't hear at all <laughs> in the movie. But they're basically just arguing. I guess. Yeah. she's blowing. She's like blowing into a tube. I guess to keep them in. I guess, yeah, I guess, yeah. And they get they on the when they get out of the water, they find a, a cave, and inside mm-hmm. the cave is a Volkswagen. A Volkswagen, book. yeah, That's that right. was just stashed in a cave, <laughs> and it still works. And it still he starts it right out. He says, "Boy, they really built these things." Yeah. yeah. Huh, huh. Hey guys, we're not talking about those new Volkswagen bugs from that disgraced company that lied about its its pollution <laughs> it's emissions. Yeah, exactly. No more than just that, actually put a device in their cars to trick the companies that would test for emissions into thinking that they were clean running. That's right. You know that shitty company. That's right. That actually <laughs> happened. Anyway, they they find the bug. They drive for about three and a half minutes, and then it's time to destroy the bug. Yeah, sure. They just push it over a cliff. Because yeah. okay, and they're chit chatting back and forth about stuff, and they're still reinforcing the fact that she's a little naive and kind of dumb. You know, she's vapid. Yeah, she's vap. She's vapid. She thinks she's smart, but she's not because that's Woody Allen's opinion on women. <laughs> I'm saying it. It's not. I don't think. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> um. But they find they find themselves. They they're they're way, back at yeah. the doctor's house from the beginning. That's right, and they go in, and she takes a, a bath, and um, we have a uh, a mirror gag when he's trying to shave, right? Yeah. Where he adjusts some things, and then a lady appears, and she's like, what are you doing on this channel? And then, you know, that that's funny, I guess, right? <laughs> right, Steve? It's, it's wacky. It's wacky. It's wacky. It's, yeah, it's wacky. It's like, and, oh, why would it work that way? And then they have an extended talk about sex, because, you know, she's... Apparently, this society is more liberal about sex, but describes every, all the men as impotent and all the women as frigid. Right. Well, and they're used to using the orgasmatron, so they don't usually do it like the old-fashioned way. Which flies in the face of what she said earlier at her other party, where she wanted to have everyone have sex, but there wasn't enough people. Yeah. Don't think too hard. But I did. I did think too hard. I listened <laughs> to one late. part of the movie and then heard another part of the movie. It's too late. But yeah. then they. But then they kiss. Because they know each other, I guess, right? Sure, they're 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 falling in love now. Mm-hmm. Sure. And as they're kissing, oh, oh the security police! Uh oh! And he says, "Quick, hide in this room full of artifacts and uh, take this gun, and um, I'll come back for you." And he gets captured. Yeah, well, he hides in the orgasmatron. Yeah, when they get <laughs> and they him, drag he's him all away. Goofy yeah. again. And now it's time for brainwashing. How do they brainwash him, Steve? They How does the make... state brainwash him? <laughs> they, for some reason, they make him think he's in the Miss America pageant. He's Miss Colorado. He's Miss Colorado, and and he wins Miss America, and then that makes him into a loyal no. worker for the state. And he's got a caseworker. Yeah. And uh, he needs to get new clothes, and that's where we meet two robot Jewish tailors. Yes, that's right. 
and they spend a good deal of time just arguing at each other because it's funny because they're robots. And they're Jewish. They're Jewish robots. It's funny because they're Jewish robots. And um, then she takes him to his apartment and gives him a robot dog and says, hey, if you do well here, then you'll get your own housing and then you can get your own domestic servant. And I'm starting to ask, what's what's wrong with the society? What's right. what, what's happening with this? What's wrong with it again, Steve? Uh, yeah, it does seem like, like other than the the police showing up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it does. It seems like like they're giving him a house. They're giving him an orb. They're giving him drugs. There's yeah. an orgasmatron in the corner. Yeah, which he starts, which he starts hugging. He's yeah. not paying attention to the word the woman's saying. He starts <laughs> hugging it. And like his, the job they give him doesn't seem that bad. No, and there's a you woman know? there that he immediately is attracted to. Yeah, right? and I guess she, for whatever reason, is attracted to him. For whatever, because it's a Woody Allen movie. Well, yeah, okay. Um, and so uh, he, you know, does things like he goes to confession. And when you confess, you get a weird prize. I don't know what that was. I didn't catch what it was either, but yeah. I don't know. I have no idea. And he's dating the woman, and he's got a giant orb now. Yes, he does. (laughs) He has a problem. (laughs) He has an orb problem. He has an orb problem. And there is, there. it is implied that everyone, everyone worships the leader. Yeah, yeah, there is. I mean, it's, it's, it's like a weirdly kind of benignly authoritarian society because right. nobody seems to be suffering but at the same time yeah it does feel like if there's like this the cultish law, they can erase yeah. you yeah they and can... there's like a cultish level of adoration for the leader mm-hmm. yeah. and who 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 when we see pictures of the leader who is it um it's it's timothy leary isn't it's it timothy leary yeah. that's right yeah although we never see the leader he never Only actually like appears long distance shot when he's waving at a camera and right. so uh, he comes home, and who's there? Uh, Luna is there. Because and... what we've neglected to mention is we've cut to a few scenes of uh, Luna all by herself in the woods, and um, like swinging from vines and trying to use a bow and arrow, and then <laughs> reading a book, and she gets captured by the by the resistance. Oh no! By the rebels. Yeah. And then, she starts learning from the rebels, and there's a guy there that's all tall and blonde, and they're making goo-goo fuck faces at each other. Mm-hmm. So now she shows up, and she's like, it's me, Luna, and he doesn't know who she is, right? Right, because he's been brainwashed. Right, and he says, you're the aliens, help, help. And then um, the tall blonde guy, whose name we learn is Erno, Erno, jumps out of the orgasmatron, which wasn't giving him constant orgasms for some reason this time. <laughs> he has trained himself to resist mm-hmm. it. They put a bag over his head and they hustle him back to the rebel camp. And um, they've got to deprogram him. Right. right. How do they do that, Steve? <laughs> well, first, they try to get his memory back by having him reenact a traumatic memory from his life. Right. Uh, and then that somehow segues into them doing a scene from Streetcar Named Desire. Right. Well, it's funny because... Because Diane Keaton gets to try to play Marlon Brando. Right, and he's Blanche. Yeah. And he's Blanche Dubois. Yeah. And that goes on for a really long time. They do a lot of that scene. Yeah. And then they drug him. And then he wakes up and he's fine. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I missed you so much. And she's like, yeah. And and she plays an awful song 
about the rebellion, and then he kisses her, and then immediately later on, he catches her kissing Arno. Oh, no. And now we've got jealous things about that, and she's like, I'm free, I'm not going to tie myself down to one man, and he's just like, he doesn't tell her that she's wrong. It's just not for him, right? Right, right. So at least exactly. we don't have that, but it's obvious he has a problem with it. He's not happy with it. Yeah, he's no. jealous. He's jealous. He's jealous. But we have a plan. Yeah, they're going to... Uh, so Miles and Luna are going to pretend to be doctors. Right. And they're going to sneak into this medical facility and mm-hmm. figure out what Project Ares is and stop it, I guess. And that's what they do, the end. That's the end of the movie. <laughs> No, all they do is bicker about their relationship most of the time. Right. They use the tape machine that he had as a job to lower himself down so he can steal lab coats. And then they disguise themselves as doctors. And then some high mucky mucks go, oh, doctor, it's time for, you know, time to go. And they go into this big conference room and they get a slideshow about what the Ares Project is and what is it. Well, it turns out the leader had a little accident a while back. He blowed up. He got blowed up. And the only thing left of him was his nose. That's right. And their greatest scientists and doctors have managed to keep the nose alive. For a year. For a year. And now they're finally ready to attempt to clone a new leader from his nose. From his nose. And they think... That they think Miles and Luna are the doctors that are going to close the clone the nose. Right. And so they go into the cloning room, and there's a medical computer there, and we get an extended gag about them yeah. doing stuff where they yeah. they rip things off from the Three Stooges and from the Marx Brothers and from a whole bunch of other stuff, don't they, Steve? Oh yeah, it's basically just an extended sequel. where they're trying to bluff their way through this cloning mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then they finally, he tries to hide the nose under his mask. They say he's got the nose and they start chasing him and he pulls out his gun that he got from Luna, the same gun that he gave Luna from the from the house. And yeah. he's like, I'm going to, I'll shoot the nose if you guys don't let us go. They all back off. And then they tempt him too far and he goes, oh yeah, I'm going to shoot the nose. Watch this. And he pulls the trigger and what happened? Uh, a bang flag comes out he, of the gun. It's a joke gun. He got one of those late century joker guns that we've heard so much about (laughs) (laughs) where does he get those wonderful toys Mm -hmm. and then they run away and thankfully no one has any guns so they don't shoot them in the back as they're running away from the (laughs) facility exactly and then he takes the nose and he throws it under a road roller what we used to call a steamroller that we still call a steamroller even though they're not powered by steam anymore why why (laughs) because steamroller is a cool name and it flattens the nose into a great big thing, a silly putty, and everyone's like, oh no. And they get in a car and they drive away and they have an argument about the relationship. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, um, Luna says, like, yeah, the revolution will win. And, and Miles says, yeah, and then, you know, pretty soon we'll be trying to make a clone out of Erno's nose. Yeah, we'll be, yeah, we'll be stealing Erno's nose. Yeah. And she's like, you don't believe in politics, you don't believe in religion. And there's a third thing. You don't believe in science. He doesn't believe... You don't believe in science either. What do you believe? And what does he say? He says there are two things that he believes in. Sex and death. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I was was glad he kept it at two. Yes. Me too. And one of them was not that consent laws don't mean anything to real people. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. (laughs) 
He was still keeping that it's one to himself. It's not if you're not related. Yeah, you exactly. You know, things like that. Things like that that, you know, presumably he believes in, but chose not to share with us. I think um, sex and death pretty much covers all we need to know. Yeah. If that's yeah. all you really believe in. <laughs> and he says, uh, because those are two things that come once in a lifetime, but at least after death, you're not nauseous. The end. The end. No, right off in the center, just cut to black, the end. Yeah. So, Steve? Yes. How do you feel about this classic comedy that's fading fast? (laughs) Woody Allen's Sleeper. Well, as it turns out, um, I'm glad that we picked this Woody Allen movie for our, oh shit, I guess we have to talk about Woody Allen at some point show. Yes. Um, Because if we had watched Annie Hall for example, mm-hmm. um, I would have had to sit here and feel all weird and gross for praising the film yeah. while knowing what a sack of garbage Woody Allen is. And uh-huh. um, and I'm sure that's what will happen when we eventually do review Annie Hall. Because or crimes I'm sure, or misdemeanors. Or, or, yeah, or any of sisters. his. Yeah, any of his great films because he's made some great films. Um, and I, I, I kind of hate him for making them <laughs> because now I know what a piece of shit he is. Um, but luckily, we didn't review Annie Hall. We didn't review any of his of his like really, really great work. We reviewed Sleeper. And Sleeper is fine. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it's terrible. I liked it enough that I am going to marginally recommend it. It made me laugh a few times. Um, it had bits that I thought were very clever and very funny, and then it had bits that I thought just landed with a thud and didn't work for me at all. All of his influences are on his Um, sleeve in this movie. Oh, for sure. So I just thought, I thought the movie, the movie is okay, right? The movie Mm. is okay. It's, um, I enjoy the fact that it starts already in the future. I'm so glad he didn't do his original idea where we start in contemporary and then, you know, I'm I'm so glad that it starts in the future and, and, um, and then we're introduced to Miles when he wakes up. So that way, you know, they can, the exposition can be them explaining stuff to him, which makes sense. mirroring with the lead yeah. character. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like exposition because it doesn't feel exposition is fine and necessary in a lot of stories, but it's you, you hate to have that scene where it's just people sitting around talking about stuff that they would already know exactly. for for the sake of the audience. And there's not very much of that in this movie because he's a stranger to the future. So it, it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so are we. Yeah. So that's why it works. Yeah. And I like how the movie is able to create the impression of this futuristic society, even though we really don't get to see all that much of it. Um, Mm -hmm. We get to see a couple of locations and like the wacky cars, you know, and the the clothes are different. And we get the impression of, okay, we get it. It's the future, but we don't actually see all that much of it. Well, Um, they have an explanation that says that cities no longer exist. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, And I enjoy I enjoy uh, that, you know, as we've mentioned a couple of times, this is uh, an homage to silent comedy and not just silent comedy. He uh, Marx Brothers and all kinds of stuff. But there's a lot of silent comedy influence here. And he doesn't just do the slapstick from silent comedy. He also imports that fragmented uh, look, just go with it logic of silent films. Um, Mm -hmm. And the best example is where he disguises himself as the butler. Because we, it's that in real life that disguise wouldn't last for a, a second. A gag that I have yeah. used in my plays. Yeah, and it's a great gag 
and part of what makes it great is that it's the, the absurdity of it. Like to us in the mm -hmm. audience, it's so obviously a bad disguise. Like if right. this were real life, people would pick him out immediately. He doesn't have one of the robot heads. He just painted himself white. He even still has the glasses. It's obviously not one of the robot butlers, but nobody suspects anything until he's at like the you know the mechanic shop and he's and mm -hmm. he tries to run away um so it doesn't make any sense but it's funny it's absurd and it is exactly the sort of gag that you would find in a buster keaton movie because they they operate on exactly the same kind of fractured logic yeah it's where it's like look it's a bit just go with it and that's mm -hmm. that, that's a lot of this movie and i appreciate that because i love silent comedy um I like the character arc of Luna. I like the fact that she goes from this rich person who doesn't see why anyone would want a revolution into a revolutionary. And I like the mm -hmm. fact that it's for kind of selfish reasons. Like, it's because, you know, basically she finds herself in the wilderness and we see her completely unable to fend for herself in the wilderness. And then she is rescued mm -hmm. by, the by, the, by the underground. And, oh, what a, oh, wow, look at that. Now she's a revolutionary. You know, mm -hmm. I thought that was... Um, and again, it's not like super realistic character arc given the amount of time that we see her but that is also typical for silent comedy where characters right. often go through major changes during a relatively short period of time um, and you know I think Woody Allen and Diane Keaton obviously this is not breaking any any news they make a great team they have gr really good chemistry together whether they're mm -hmm. bicker whether they're bickering or whether they're on the same page like in that scene where they're trying to fake their way through you know the cloning stuff in front of the other doctors they're they're terrific right. Um, so there are lots of things that I like about the movie. And as I said, I like it enough to recommend it. But but it's by no means perfect or, or anywhere close to perfect. No. For, for one thing, it drags. It This movie is 90 minutes long, which is a great running time. But there are times when this movie feels like it's about three hours long. Um, when it works, it works really well, and it's funny, and it's inventive, and it's charming, and when it doesn't work, it feels like it just goes on and on and on. Um, there's also the problem, which is a problem with a lot of other Woody Allen movies, even some of his better ones, uh, which is that Woody Allen himself is usually the least funny character in the movie. Um, yeah. And and that's not for lack of trying because you know and and his physical comedy is terrific uh, in this but you know it, it, he writes himself all of these zingers and one liners like like his character is constantly performing stand up at a resort in the Poconos yeah. and and that's also kind of like a Groucho Marx thing you know that he does um, and those yeah. lines and for me those lines are only funny about a third of the time. <laughs> like like some of his lines I, I hear and I'm like okay that's pretty funny and then the other two thirds it's like oh, alright just talk like a person you know it's just, a dated reference yeah just yeah just talk like a normal person please um so and, and also some of the you know the hey look it's the future jokes are a little obvious mm -hmm. um like the bit that's kind of a running gag where it's, oh, the things you thought were bad for you are actually good for you. You know, like, hey, here, yeah. smoke this. It's tobacco, the healthiest substance for you in the world. You know, like. Right. Um, so, you know, it made me chuckle. Um, I admire its sense of absurdity. I admire the creativity of some of the, of, that went into some of the scenario and some of the gags. Like I said, he's he is actually a really good physical comedian. Um, but it drags. Some of the gags start out very clever and then just run on too long and wear out their welcome, like the jetpack oh, stuff. The jetpack stuff was fine. I the don't. One that I dragged mean, the most for me was the was the cloning 
Oh yeah, that okay. yeah that yeah. It just ran on. It's like all right, come on. Um, and and like I said, his personal shtick as a performer is very hit and miss for me, uh, especially here. So um, if this were Siskel and Ebert, I would call this a marginal thumbs up. <laughs> that's Jeez. that's what I have to say. <laughs> you done? I'm done. Okay, so uh, I liked overall. I liked the movie. I haven't seen it in a while. Mm-hmm. It was hard to find, wasn't it, Steve? Oh yeah, yeah. It's hard to it's find. It's super hard to find. And so almost uh, so hard to find that I almost called you and said, "Hey, maybe we should do something else. <laughs> Let's do another movie. One that we can find, maybe." Um, like I said, he's wearing all of his influences on his sleeve. Oh, yeah. I saw less Groucho in this and more Bob Hope. A lot yeah. of people who know his his shtick, especially in the very beginning of his movie career, he is aping Bob Hope and the way Bob Hope would react to things in his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes he's playing a Bob Hope-like character. His jokes are both arrogant and self-deprecating at the same time. Yeah, That's a hard trick to pull off for a lot of people. But the same thing was going with Bob Hope. Bob Hope would say something that was was self-aggrandizing, while at the same time slipping something in there that was, you know, you know, kind of detrimental to the character. Right. Yeah. And 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 Woody Allen said that Bob Hope was an ins- inspiration for this too. So yeah. 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 So I see a lot more of that, but definitely when it came to the silent aspects of a lot of the, mostly the chase and escape stuff. There were a couple of scenes in there that weren't that, that was very clearly silent movies. Even to the point in which they filmed it, they sped it up. And Mm. the thing about, the funniest thing that I always think about when people want to recreate a silent movie is they always speed it up. Well, the reason that it got sped up was because projectors at the time showing silent movies were, were displaying them at the wrong speed. We're just now getting around to the point that we're actually not over-cranking the film, and we're actually seeing them at the speeds that they're supposed to be at, rather than, I think, point um, six. It's a little bit too fast, and so that's what gave it that energy. It became so ingrained with silent films that when he he copies that style here, that stuff is sped up. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, stuff with the ladder and stuff when he's being told that he's in the future and all that other stuff. Stuff that is clearly just for physical gag comedy. And yes, he is really good at it because there are times when you're watching it where you're like, okay, that's a Chaplin, Mm -hmm. that's a Keaton, that's a Harold Lloyd. He obviously loves these guys and he wanted to put it in his film. Does it make it bad? No, it doesn't. No. Um, it's still funny in his own right. He's not outright stealing from these guys. There isn't a scene where he's on a future train trying to get logs off the track. <laughs> or, no, he doesn't know, outright recreate he's hanging bits. from yeah. a giant clock. But, I mean, <laughs> it's interesting to see just he, he is not embarrassed about showing what his influences are. Not a whole lot of people were doing that kind of referential stuff to silent films either in comedies or in dramas, so that was interesting. I, li- I really like the aesthetic of this movie. Mm-hmm. Along with... All the, the sci-fi kind of looked like this in the early 70s. Very clean, very utilitarian. Um, that's now starting to come back into the aesthetic of current sci-fi. We went through this grungy, dingy, lived-in, which is great, but it kind of took over sci-fi aesthetic for a long time. Now we're getting it back with things like the set design for Westworld. Whenever they needed to show, you know, um, the future 
the future bits, not the west, you know, not the actual park bits, mm-hmm. and in some other things like Ex Machina and, and things like that, they're coming back to that kind of spare look at the future, and that's what this movie had, and other movies at the time had it too. You know, two thousand one had it, and this movie had it. Logan's Run had Logan's it. Logan's Run, yeah, had it for for a bit. A lot of stuff that was set in the future had this kind of aesthetic. I like the aesthetic, even though it's not technically real. Um, and this movie had it too, and at least they threw in that bit that said there are no more cities, so they didn't have to spend any money on sending people <laughs> to the cities. A um, couple of side gags, like the uh, the McDonald's in the future, that had um, <laughs> All I the think zeros. it was it was it was the number I think it was the number thirteen with fifty six zeros after it. <laughs> um, but you know, looking back on it now. One of the other problems is a lot of his comedy, the spoken bits, is dated. Personally, I would have loved Sleeper if it had been a silent movie. Um, oh, yeah. Because I think it would have worked. Um, the main reason why a lot of the stuff seems tired is either he's rehashing a bit from something that's similar that we've seen before, in either from a Marx Brothers, from a Three Stooges, yeah. or from a silent film. Or he's referencing things that were funny in 1973 that aren't necessarily that funny now. I mean, we're kind of over all the Nixon jokes. There are some people who will still make (laughs) Nixon references, um, but that's going to change soon because he was the worst president. (laughs) (laughs) Was. Was. But hopefully in 30 years, if someone makes a movie now and it has a bunch of political references from this time period... That's just going to seem just as old and, and, and dated. Yeah. So the movie is aging, which may be one of the reasons why we had a hard time finding it. I still had fun watching it. And thankfully, there wasn't a whole lot in here to remind me of the guy who's <laughs> in it and made it. Yeah. Um, because the movie's, the movie's fine. It's good. Um, and I'm glad we did this. It doesn't get us off the hook, Steve. Oh, I know. It doesn't get us off the hook because this isn't the the movie that he's known for, right? Oh, of course. The movie not. that he's known for is Annie Hall, mm-hmm. and we're gonna have to do it at some point. Oh, yeah, of course we are. Of course we are. But this yeah. is a good good way to kind of come into it to let everybody know how we feel, so that they won't be surprised when we do Annie Hall eventually. <laughs> And so, they'll know I mean, why we're hurting. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna say recommend, Steve. Yeah, classic, I say recommend. Yeah, I recommend. Classic, yeah, recommend classic. classic yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's good. Whatever. Okay, good. Now we can get away from him. Let's go. Come on, come on, come on. Here's the hand sanitizer. This has nothing at all to do with COVID. <laughs> oh no, no, we would have done this anyway. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right, Steve, it's time for you to not recommend something. <sighs> yeah, and this is going to be cathartic for me. Um, not because we've never talked about this person before, but just because I can't ever say enough how much I don't like this person who's in this movie I'm going to talk about. So, okay, so the problem with Woody Allen is I have, I have a negative opinion of Woody Allen because of who he is and what he has done, not because of his work. Right. Judging based on his work, he's great. Judging based mm-hmm. on his personal life, he's the worst. Um, right. This the the film I am going to not recommend is the work of someone who I have a low opinion of, and it's pretty much entirely because of his work. Uh, oh, okay. It's not his personally. He doesn't have the best reputation either. Okay. But it's not so bad that 
that I would, you know, despise him just on that. It's it's because it's because of his work. Um, and of course, the person I am referring to, as some people listening may have guessed, based on the sort of genre that we're working in here, mm-hmm. is Jerry Lewis. I knew you were going to do this. Any opportunity. Any. Uh, it's, it was and, in your wedding vows, and, and, for and God's sake. I want to take t- a moment of, um, from praising the woman that is going to be my wife to say a few things about Jerry Lewis. <laughs> and I will say to our audience the same thing I said to the people in the church that day. <laughs> you might be thinking to yourself, Steve, haven't you criticized Jerry Lewis enough when is it ever going to be over? And I say to you, it is never over. <laughs> it is never over until I am dead in the ground. Um, the movie I am not recommending is the first movie that Jerry Lewis ever directed, and it's called The Bellboy. And it's awful, oh, wow. and I hate every second of it. It's not funny. It's terrible. It's excruciating. It's it's all 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 the the criticisms I had for some of the gags in Sleeper about how sometimes they run on a little long. Uh, that's every single gag in The Bellboy because Jerry Lewis has no sense of comic timing. He has no idea how to edit a gag to make it funny. Everything is strained and overlong and and wears out its welcome, and it's awful. And as as always, as I was in, in our Nutty Professor episode when we actually talked about Jerry Lewis for a whole show, I am baffled, utterly baffled, that he is regarded as, as, as a comic genius. I don't get it. And I will say, I think, as I said during that show, I mean, if you really, really like Jerry Lewis... It's all a matter of perspective, and it's all subjective, and there's no right or wrong. But, man, I just don't get it. (laughs) Because, to me, he is one of the most brutally unfunny people, um, at least when left to his own devices. If he is working with, like, a director who can rein him in and focus him, he can be or has been, you know, quite good in certain certain roles in certain circumstances. But when he's just allowed to just do his own thing and run wild, there is nobody that I would... He's he's the worst. He's the worst. So my not recommendation is is the the oeuvre of Jerry Lewis in general, uh, but the Bellboy in in particular. Don't watch okay. the Bellboy. Yeah, don't don't see it. Oh, I got to do one, huh? Oh, did you have one? Oh boy, do I have one. Oh boy, <laughs> this sounds as promising. You guys, as you guys know, I like to not recommend a film from the same year as the movie that the movie we just reviewed, mm-hmm. and it's nineteen seventy three. That yeah. weird transition period between the old way we made movies and the new way we made movies. Yeah. The old way was studio run and they'd throw money at stuff and they controlled actors' lives. And the new way was boobs and cussing and boobs and, and people cussing at boobs and sometimes boobs cussing on their own. And, and blood. So take yeah. a cussing boob and throw blood on it. And that's that was what they were experimenting with in the early 70s. But there were some people at the movie studios that said, you know what genre is never going to go out of style? And what they didn't realize that there was more in that sentence until we fucking kill it ourselves. <laughs> musicals. <gasps> really? Musicals were never going never gonna to go out of style. And uh, so someone had a great idea. They said, you know what? Let's take one of Billy Wilder's movies and let's turn it into a musical. Hmm. And they'd be like, the one without a plot, really? And they're like, yeah, let's turn it into a musical. Okay, so it'll be short, like the original? No, let's make it two and a half hours. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, and let's let's see. We're gonna cast a musical. Let's put um, Peter Finch in it. He's a great actor. He is, but he's not known for his singing, really. And let's cast a whole bunch of other people in. It. I, I, hey, you know what else we should do? What we should cast John Gielgud as an Asian guy. Oh, oh good idea. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> let's 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 do that. Yeah. And uh, let's also cast George Kennedy because he's known for all of his musical roles. Because that'll be great. Because because we need we need that. The movie I am now telling you to never see. It's considered one of the worst movies ever made, and a contributing factor to why these kinds of musicals no longer got made is the absolutely awful Lost Horizon. Ooh. It was a bad idea to begin with. Only two people in the entire cast sang their own songs. The rest all got <laughs> singing doubles. Wow. It's got Sally Kellerman in it. It's it's bad. It's just, it is so fucking boring. And if you don't know anything about Lost Horizon, it's about a bunch of fuckers who get lost in the Himalayas and find a place called Shangri-La where everything's peaceful and everything's happy and you can live a really super long time. And then something happens, and a guy leaves, and then he comes back. The end. Not much of a plot, huh? Not really. Well, that takes place over two and a half hours. <laughs> and some of the most insipid, <laughs> awful songs you have ever heard in your entire goddamn life. Here's the best part. It's in the Himalayas, this hidden, this hidden city, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Populated by Asian people, except for John Gielgud, who is who is in in Asian makeup to make him Asian and speak in broken English. And um, thankfully, all of these white people who show up, who find the place, thankfully there's white people living in the village already for them to hook up with. Isn't that great? Oh, that's a, that that's great, really great, Steve. That's that's very fortunate. <laughs> Yeah, and also because there's now a white man there, the 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 Asian guy, not played by an Asian guy, is like you're you're you were sent here for a reason because you're our white savior. I guess oh, good. in this paradise where no one dies, you're going to be the new leader. It's awful. Fuck this fucking movie. <laughs> I don't like it. I'm not going to get myself worked up, Steve. No, you I'm should not going to yeah. do it. Remember the your blood pressure. The movie was made. I had no control over it. Nobody <laughs> liked it. It's it not your exists. fault. So if you see it and you read the little blurb and the blurb doesn't say, this is a disease, don't touch it. <laughs> and you think, oh, it's a musical. I think I'll watch it. Don't do it. <sighs> Lost Horizon, directed by Jonathan Fuckhead and written by a bunch of dinks. Don't watch it. <laughs> anyway, Steve, you know what time it is? It's time for me to make a terrible choice. It's time for you to make a terrible choice. Yeah, baby. And we're going back into our conflicted feelings. Oh, good. Thing. Oh, good. But conflicted for different reasons. Oh, okay. Hey, Steve. Mm-hmm. What started up again this last week? Uh, Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball, our favorite thing. Yeah. And we love doing our shows where we get to do a baseball movie, huh, Steve? We do. But we feel funny about baseball being done right now, right, we, Steve? We do, what with all the pandemic and such. Because we're happy, sad, and yeah. worried. Yeah. Happy, sad, worried. There should be a German word for it. There probably is. <laughs> I'm I don't sure know. there is. <laughs> we're happy that baseball's back. We're sad that baseball's back. We're worried for everyone involved with baseball being back. Mm-hmm. Boy, howdy. <laughs> because 
we have a little disease going around. But since baseball's back, we have the excuse to do our baseball movie review, Steve. Oh, great. Okay. So you get to choose between three baseball movies. Oh, boy. A, B, or C. Pick it. I'm going to go with B this time. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. It wasn't the one I wanted you to pick, but that's oh. fine. We'll never do it, I guess. No, no, it'll be fine. We'll, we'll have fun. We'll have okay. fun. It'll, well, good. It'll be another one of those shows where it's like, oh, I don't know that old movie, and no one's going to listen to the podcast, but... Oh, cool. <laughs> so we can just say whatever we want. That's right. We can just go, da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> Baseball was invented by Martians. Um, <laughs> Nobody's listening. Had you selected A, mm-hmm. we would have reviewed A League of Their Own. Oh. Had you selected C... We would have finally shot that target that we have been aiming for since this show fucking began. And that's the baseball movie Field of Dreams. Oh, man. But you selected B. I did. So we get to jump into the time machine and go back in time to review The Pride of the Yankees. Okay. That's not so bad. Yeah, you think? When was the last time you seen it? (laughs) It's been a while. Uh Uh-huh. So, yay. So if you guys want to get all the weird historical dated jokes that Steve and I are going to be making about a game you barely care about, then please watch Pride of the Yankees. Oh, boy. And that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening once again. This has been Jason Harding, and go see a movie. Don't go see a movie. Get a movie delivered to you. Don't Actually, they might touch the movie. Just stream it. Stream a movie this week. There you go. And, and this has been Steve Shives. I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. I'm 237 years old. I should be collecting Social Security. What? You're I'm not two, 237 I, I, years old, Steve. I, I'm 237 years old. You act like it. Oh, I get those confused. Like I'm sorry. There's a difference. I get those you confused. You act like the crankiest old man. But I, you're okay, not that. Okay? I don't... I, 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 honestly, I resent that characterization because I'm not... That, hang on a second. Just get, get off the porch! Get off my fucking porch! Sorry. You know what? If you don't want kids on your porch, you wouldn't have your toys proudly displayed in your room for them to see it. They probably just want to come in and look at your Batman Get stuff. away from the window! You, yes! Get away from the fucking window! Sorry, I um, Are those the displaced COVID orphans that oh, uh, you've yeah. been mentioning? Good Maybe point. they just want some food. Good point. Pull your masks up! Sorry. Okay, well, that's that's great. Um, anyway, I'm glad we, we cleared that up. You are not. Not. You're not that cranky, no, cranky I'm not. guy. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Of course not. How many of their balls do you have at this point? (laughs) Let me pull the box out. That's less of a box and more of a steamer trunk. Um, I'm is think- that a kid's bike? <laughs> I'm thinking of getting like a plexiglass case to put them in so I can keep it on the porch just to torture them. Oh, you know, okay. So they can see. Okay. When were you first called old, old man Shives? Were you 12? I was, yeah, about like, I was, I was, what, well, how old are you in third grade? Oh, uh, okay. That's great. Just say bye, Steve. Bye, Forget everybody. <laughs> bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. <laughs> you know, you don't need to take that Geritol. I don't need to. I get to. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production.
featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Let Me Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Listen. And thanks for listening. <laughs>